I want to pick up this morning and continue on this series of messages about the names of God. What's in a name? Names mean things. And we've been talking about these different names of God uh, over the last several weeks. And and, uh, some of them you don't see because they're not written in a way that you recognize them immediately. And so I'm really enjoying taking the opportunity to point them out. And I want to start with a verse of scripture this morning that we looked at last week. In fact, it was the primary verse of scripture that we looked at last week is Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 3. And Isaiah said this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And above it stood seraphim, each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with the other two he flew. And one cried to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. It's like he's so holy that this place can't contain it. It just spills out and spreads all over the world. That's how big God is. And the majesty and the magnificence of God that Isaiah saw, and we talked about this last week, it was so overwhelming to Isaiah that it changed him. It it changed everything about him because he just knew that he would never be able to to, uh, encounter anything that was quite like what he had just seen. And our prayer last week was that it changed Isaiah and that it would change us as well. And I wanted to start with that verse this morning because the name of God that we'll look at this morning is very similar and is closely related to the description that we looked at in terms of the Lord of hosts last week in Isaiah chapter 6, and that is the term holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. This morning, the name that we're going to look at is Jehovah Mekadishkum. And it is found in two passages of Scripture, which I will put on the screen for you. Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 through 13, we read this. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak also to the children of Israel, saying, Surely my Sabbaths you shall keep, for it's a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Leviticus chapter 20, verses 7 through 8. This is the other place that we see this in Scripture. God says, Consecrate yourselves, therefore, and be holy, for I am the Lord your God, and you shall keep my statutes and perform them. I am the Lord who sanctifies you. Let's pray. Father, as we open up your word this morning and we look at this incredible name, I pray, God, that we will, just like last week, that we'll be impacted by it, that we'll be transformed by it, that we will realize how incredibly important it is that you are the Lord who sanctifies us. God, may we walk away this morning with a profound new uh, awareness of who you are and appreciation for who you are. And Lord, may we be living different and operating differently 
because of that encounter, just as Isaiah did when he encountered you in Isaiah chapter 6. Lord, bless what is said, bless what is heard to all who are here, both present live and online. In Jesus' name we pray, all God's people said, Amen. Amen. All right, so last week in that passage from Isaiah, Isaiah was repeating the words of the seraphim that were surrounding God, and they said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And in this passage that we're looking at this morning, he says, I'm the Lord who sanctifies you. Now, why in the world am I using those two passages, and what do they have to do with each other? Well, here's why. The word sanctified that you see in these two passages of Scripture, they're virtually identical to the word holy found in Isaiah 6. Now, the interesting thing in Isaiah 6 is that passage was referring to to God. Holy, holy, holy is God. But in this passage, in these two places, this same word holy now is not applying to God. It's being applied to us to you. So let's look at these two words in comparison to each other, holy and sanctified. So the Hebrew word for holy is a word called Kadesh. And that's actually where we get the term Jehovah Mekadesh come from. So you see the connection there? That word, that Hebrew word is Kadesh. And so we translate that into Jehovah Mekadesh And it means apartness means set apart. It means separateness and sacredness. Now, that's, that's what holy means. Sanctify is very, very closely related. It means to set apart for a sacred purpose or a religious use, to consecrate. Now, the word for sanctify is often used kadosh. So it's kadesh and kadosh. So it's, they're so close to each other, so similar to each other, they're sort of interrelated, and you can use them in either or sort of proposition for those two words, for holy and to sanctify. So Jehovah Mekadishkum, as a result of that term, is the Lord who sanctifies you. He's the Lord who makes you holy. He's the Lord who sets you apart. He is the Lord who sets you apart. Now, in this passage in Exodus, he is referring to the Sabbaths. Right? And he used this term in relation to that because the Sabbath was always God's tool, one of the key ways that he used for making his people different. One of the ways that he used for setting his people apart from those who followed the ways of the world. The rest of the world did not observe a Sabbath. But God said, My people, who I am going to set apart, who I'm going to make holy, who I'm going to sanctify, who I'm going to make different, they're going to observe a Sabbath. And this is one of the key ways that God said, you're not the same as everybody else in the world. You're not going to live like everybody else in the world. And and the Sabbath sort of uh, created some guardrails and some guidelines that were very important for God's people. Uh, They were boundaries that that affected uh, time, right? Because you can't do anything you want to with your time because there is a Sabbath that is reserved for God. It's not reserved for you. It's reserved for God. Uh, It set a boundary in terms of work because guess what? On the Sabbath, you ain't working. 
That's my day, said the Lord. That's, I'm setting you apart. I'm making you different. And as a part of being different and being set apart, you're not going to work on that. I don't care what the rest of the world does. You're not working on that day. It, it set a boundary in terms of rest. See, sometimes in the world, everybody wants to burn the candle on both ends. Now, I know that's always been around. I don't know if we've always been able to see it like we do because we can see everything going on in the world all the time now. But there is this thing in our world that you've got to burn the candle on both ends to be successful. Now, this morning, uh, we, have, we have been uh, meeting with uh, several people who are going through the, the gifts and, and the spiritual gifts and the serving class, part of the Grow With Us class. And one of the things that I mentioned to them this morning um, is in relation to that is that when, when we serve, man, I completely, have you ever just lost your train of thought right in the middle of a statement? It's like, whoa, where in the world did that go? The caboose just like went around the curve. I don't know where I was going with that. Y'all pray for me. I'll be all right, but y'all pray for me. Uh, <laughs> uh, but anyway, if, if it pops into my mind, I might say something completely out of sync with everything else later, and you'll know, okay, he remembered all of a sudden, and that's why he said that. It'll have no relation to anything else, but it might just pop out. You never know. All right. So I'll go back to the main thing I was going to say. Uh, so it set boundaries for activity, and it set boundaries for focus. Because, right? man, we are so, so distracted. We're so distracted by all of the other things that are going on in the world. And God said, I don't care what else is going on in the world. There's going to be at least one day out of this week, one day out of seven, that you're going to stop running as hard as you can, and you're going to focus on me. And that's going to make you different from everybody else. So God was using this in relation to the Sabbath because the Sabbath was one of his primary tools of setting apart his people from the rest of the world. It also reminded them that the Lord is the center of everything in their world. You ever get the feeling that the world revolves around you. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand. I think most of us have had those moments, right? Where it's like everything revolves around me. It all revolves around me. And in, in the, the observance of a Sabbath, God is saying, you need to stop every so often and remember, you are not the center of the universe. You are not what this thing is all about. You know what it's about? It's about God. Amen. The whole thing is about God. The earth is full of his glory. And when we don't stop long enough to remember, the earth becomes full of our own glory. Amen. Or as much as we can generate. And if we don't think we got enough, we try to build more. But God said, stop. Remember, this is about me. Your life is about me. Whatever goes on in the world, ultimately it is about me. And Sabbath reminded his people that God is the center of it all. It also reminded people that he is Yahweh. He is L-O-R-D in all capital letters. He's eternal. He's always been. He always will be. I don't care how hard your life gets. I don't care how heavy the burden gets in the middle of a trial of your life. It will have an end, right? 
It will come to an end somewhere. It may be longer than you hope for, but it will have an end. But you know what doesn't? The good grace and the mercy of God. It has no end because God has no end. It is always there. It is always present. It will never run out because God will never cease to exist. And the Sabbath brought God's people back to an awareness of all of those things. And he said, you're not going to be like the rest of the world. You're going to set some time aside to remember all of these things. You're going to set some time apart so that you are different. But one thing that we see in the Bible over and over again is that God's people really don't like being told what to do. Have you ever noticed that? God's people are not big fans of being told what to do, even when it's God who is doing the telling them what to do. Like, well, who do you think you are telling them? Well, I'm God. That's who I am. But God's people don't like being told what to do. And you know what God's people tried to do over and over again? Not only did they resist God, but they tried to blend in with the rest of the world. They, they tried to do exactly what the rest of the world was doing. They tried to, to, hey, I don't want anybody to notice me. I just want to blend in with everybody else. Have you ever seen that as Christians? You ever seen Christians that really don't want anybody to know they're Christian? I just want to blend in with everybody else. You think maybe we've got a little bit too much of that going on in current American Christianity in our world today? Maybe just a little bit too much of that? So what is that all about? Why in the world would God's people resist being set apart? Why would they resist being different? And for that matter, why do we do it? Because I'm telling you this morning, people, we do it too. We are no different from those Israelites that God was speaking to. We try far too often to blend in with the rest of the world because we don't want to be sanctified. We don't want to be different. We don't want to be set apart. Why? Why is that? Well, let's face it. Setting apart can have some really negative implications for a lot of people. Um, now, I think this is the one that trips up most of us. This is why we don't like to be, talk about being sanctified, right? Because setting apart, usually, for most people in their mind, the first thing that flashes through their mind when you say somebody that's set apart or sanctified or different is like, whoa, I don't want anything to do with them, and I don't want to be anything like them. And you know why? Because in our world, we tend to, to evaluate or equate being different with bad, something negative. And my mind flashes to dodgeball. Um, do, do I have any dodgeball fans in here? Any, anybody that really like dodgeball? All right, now here's the interesting thing. Almost everybody that liked dodgeball is a guy that was probably, you know, beating the crap out of somebody with a ball. Whack! Oh, did that feel good? So everybody that liked dodgeball, man, you were really good. But there were only a few hands. That's why, because most people are like, I don't want to ever play dodgeball. I just don't want to play dodgeball. It's like, please, no, don't single me out. I mean, because you felt like if you ever played dodgeball, and you know that, by the way, 
that there's a whole lot of schools around the United States that have, have like stopped dodgeball altogether. Nobody can play dodgeball. Do you know that? Because it hurts people's feelings. Seriously. Dodgeball hurts people's feelings. And, and why, why does it hurt people's feelings? Because the people that get hit with the ball, they feel like they're being picked on. Because they're different. And they're slow, right? <laughs> you can be different all day, but if you're fast enough, nobody will ever hit you. <laughs> but there are people that immediately associate being different with really ugly, negative experiences in their life. I mean, there are some people, as soon as I say dodgeball, it's like, yes, I love dodgeball. And like, other people are having flashbacks. You know, it's like going to Nam or something. You know, waking up, <laughs> bullets are flying. Like, man, I'm just having a bad flash, Nam flashback. It's a bad season in my life. And there are people like, I wish you'd have never said anything about, about dodgeball. Because being different means standing out in a very, very negative, hurtful way. People just, we don't want to be different. We just, we just want to fit in. We just want to blend in. And you know what? Here's, here's peer pressure. We'll do that very same thing. I remember when I was in high school, I'm not proud of everything I did in high school, but you know, I, I grew up in church. I got saved when I was five. Man, I love the Lord. I really, really did. But there were times that, man, did I get tired of being that kid who just always went to church. Anybody else in here as an adult ever struggle with that season in your life? Raise your hand if you did. I'm the only one. Okay. No, okay, there's three other people. All right. <laughs> Just struggling with being that kid that always went to church. And I just, for all the world sometimes, I just wanted to fit in with all the cool kids, you know, at school who couldn't care less about church. And I played sports. I did lots of things. But I was still that that kid that went to church all the time, could quote Bible verses all the time. And there were times that that just didn't feel good and it would just be so much better to just fit in with the in crowd and not be singled out as that Christian guy. And so peer pressure is the same as dodgeball. It's like, hey, I don't want to be different. I just want to fit in and be accepted. And so we equate being different in a negative context. And so it's like, whoa, if that's what sanctified means, man, I want nothing to do with being sanctified. But here's the part, y'all. And this is the beautiful part of this name this morning. Setting apart for God means the exact opposite. It's not standing out and being different in a bad way. It's in a very, very good way. See, when you're sanctified for God, that signifies value. It means you have incredible value. Now, let me see if I can illustrate this a couple ways. How many of you ladies especially had mothers that uh, had special china? Raise your hand. If you had a mother that had special china or you've got special china, either one. All right, now here's the thing. That china was incredibly valuable, right? 
And boy, they could tell you stories and they put it, you know, on, on, the, on the, the China cabinet, the China hutch, and it was behind glass and locked so nobody could ever touch it stupidly. You know, like, whoa, don't you ever touch that. And oh, grandma had this and it was so great and, and she loved it and we loved it. But here's the, you could never eat on it. You might have eaten on that China once in your whole life. It's like, well, why in the world do we have these plates if we can't even eat off of them? Because they're so special. Well, that's kind of dumb. I want a plate. I want to eat off of it. <laughs> because I like to eat. I like food. So what's the point of having a plate you can't eat off of? But the china, the good china, man, you couldn't touch that stuff. Why? Because it was too valuable. And so it was set aside in a very special way to indicate in every way possible the value of that china. And, and guys... How many of you had a dad that either had a special car or a special boat or something else that he tinkered with, a special motorcycle, and it's like, don't you dare touch this thing, and if you get a scratch on it, I will kill you. (laughs) Okay, a few of you guys, you had that. Some of you might even have one of those yourself. It's like you walk out to the garage and you take that chamois cloth and you smile at it and you rub that thing down and you can see yourself. Man, does that thing look good? And you drive it once or twice a year. And if you take it to to Walmart, you will park it so far away from everything else, you'll need a shuttle bus to get to the front door. Am I telling the truth? So everybody's got these things that we value so much that we take special, special care of them and we don't want anything at all to mess with them. Now, you know, here's a great example. Um, Some of you have been looking at this and you're like, what in the world is that? Why is that on the platform? Uh, Well, this is a thing of beauty and just, just so that you know, this is a signed football uh, by the quarterback of South Carolina. Uh, his name was Connor Shaw. He played briefly uh, in the NFL, uh, but it, he was the, the best quarterback that South Carolina ever had in its entire history of 105 years plus of football. He never lost a game at home, and uh, this was a gift for me one Christmas. It was a signed football by Connor Shaw. Now, why do I have this thing in a case? Because I don't want anybody to touch it. (laughs) Don't you touch my football. It's special. It's valuable to me. This thing means a lot to me. Now, here's the thing. Some of you are looking at this, and you have no idea what this is, and this has zero value to you at all. Right? Right. This... (laughs) Nobody was supposed to amen that. I won't go back and watch the tape of this. I'm going to figure out who that was. I have a discussion about this. Anyway, there's some places appropriate to say amen, some it's not. That was not. (laughs) Some of you, this has no value to you at all because you couldn't care less about South Carolina. But to me... To me, this is very special. And, and, and here, here's the other interesting thing about it. You, it may have no value to you, but because it's been sitting here in a, in a box 
even though you may not know what it is, it makes you curious, doesn't it? Some of you are like, I have no idea what that is. I mean, it's a football. I get that. But why is it there? And what is that on it? And why is it in case? I just don't get it. And it makes you curious. That, that separateness, that uniqueness, that, that declared value in the fact that I've got it situated in the way that I have it makes you curious. What is the value of that all about? Well, because it's different, we find it more compelling. And that's how the Lord means for our sanctification to be to the rest of the world. Look at this verse in 1 Peter 3.15. He says, but sanctify yourself, or sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give an answer or a defense to everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Now, why in the world would anybody ask you about the hope that's in you if you look and act just like everybody else? Why would they ever ask you that? Now, if, if I had a football sitting up here that was just an ordinary football, not in the case. Now, you might wonder, you know, why, what's he going to do with that? But you really wouldn't wonder about the football. It's just a football. I've seen thousands of footballs. Who cares? But because it's in a case, because it's set apart, it's be, something is being declared about this football that makes it a little different from everything, every other football that's just laying on the ground somewhere, right? And because of that, just ordinary people might walk by and they, they really don't know what it is, but I'm just curious. Well, God is saying, I want your life to be set apart because I see value in you. And I want it to be set apart and different from everybody else in the world so that it makes people just wandering by just a little bit curious. Huh. What's going on with you? Why are you different? Why aren't you worried about this stuff? How come you don't tell the jokes that everybody else does? How come you don't go to the bars like everybody else does? How come you don't do this or do that or do the other thing? Why do you do things differently? If you're doing the same thing, there's no reason to ask. And we are sanctified and set apart so that people walk by and go, huh, wonder what that's all about. You and I are set apart for God because he sees value in you. Not because you're weak or slow or incapable. He sees value and he's declaring it through the setting apart of sanctification. Now, I don't want you to have any questions, ifs, ands, or buts about your being special to God. You are absolutely special to God. But I also want you to remember this, that it's God who does the sanctifying. You are special to God this morning. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you've been through. I don't care what your life has looked like. You are special to God, but it's God that does the work. Now, have you ever watched one of these shows 
where somebody takes something to a pawn shop or some other assessor and they got something they want to know what's it worth. They have no idea what it's worth. Well, they want to find out what is. How many of you have ever seen one of those shows? All right. Lots, like, it's just a fascinating thing to watch. So I want you to watch this clip very shortly and uh, then we'll talk about that. It happened Monday on Antiques Roadshow. A man in West Fargo, North Dakota, named David, heard the estimated value of a watch he kept in a safety deposit box for decades. You okay? We love the PBS show because whose family doesn't believe Aunt Sadie's old brooch or the painting you picked up at a yard sale might really be worth a small fortune. A man brought to tears when he found the old Navajo blanket he kept on the back of a chair was a rare artifact. It's about a half a million dollars. Oh my God. Or a vase bought for $4.99 worth somewhere between fifty dollars and $100,000. can't believe that. David's West Fargo Rolex is in pristine condition, a model known as a Daytona, a Paul Newman watch. That he kept all the paperwork and never wore it makes it even more valuable. He purchased it while serving in the Air Force in the 1970s. And the price back then? About a month's salary. And the value now? Five hundred to seven hundred thousand dollars. Yes. Enough to knock you off your feet. Harry Smith, NBC. I tell you right now, if I ever went to one of those things and I put something down on there and they said that's worth five to seven hundred thousand dollars, man, you'd have to take me out of the hospital because, woo! Like, Lord, you are good and your mercy endureth forever. Wow. Now, we watch those because we're fascinated by it. Now, here's the thing. You, there are a lot of people that take their stuff there, and, and th these are the parts of the show that you don't see. Because people take stuff there, and they have no idea if there's any value in it or not. The guy doing the assessing is the one who has value. And the person who takes it can't make it have value. They can want it to have value. They can hope that it has value, but they can't make it have value. It either has value or it doesn't. The person who carries it in there can't make it worth more than it is or it isn't. But a trained assessor, somebody who knows what they're doing, they can see value where other people miss it entirely. That vase, $4.99, I wouldn't even buy that at a yard sale for two bucks. But if you told me it was going to be worth $100,000, I'd like, you got more? Right? And so I would walk right by that thing. It would have no value to me at all. But to somebody who recognizes what it's worth, it's precious. And church... The rest of the world may walk by you on a daily basis and think you have no value and you are nothing but a worthless human being. But God is trained to see value and he sees enormous value in you. Amen. The rest of the world may miss it, but God never will. The rest of the world may walk right by you, but Jesus won't. Because he sees what no one else does. And because he sees the enormous value that you have, he is willing to sanctify you and set you apart for service in a very special way. But I want you to hear me this morning. You and I, we will never, ever, ever be able to make ourselves the set-apart person 
for God. It's God that does this. I'm going to share a couple of verses of Scripture that you probably know. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And if we're just looking at that in and of itself, that might feel like being hit with the dodgeball, right? Wow, I've been singled out again. I'm no good. I'm no, I have no value. I just got plastered by the dodgeball, and I'm falling down on the floor. Everybody has sinned, and I fall short of the glory of God. There I go again. I'm worthless. I have no value at all. But the verse in Romans chapter 3 that comes right before that says this. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile who believe, for there is no difference. And then you go back to 3.23, for all have sinned. There's no difference. Everybody has sinned. That's why everybody needs this righteousness of God, and it only comes as a gift from God. Amen. Now, here's the thing. He sees the value in you. You may not even see the value in yourself, but God prizes you so much that he died on the cross in the form of Jesus Christ to give you the gift of the righteousness of Christ so that you can be different. See, there's no difference between all of us before Jesus Christ. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But once you've received the gift of salvation, now there is a difference. I'm going to ask the worship team to come and prepare for a closing song. When we say yes to Jesus, we're declared righteous before this holy God. He doesn't see our sin anymore. He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ, which he has gifted, which he has given to us. He does the work. We do the believing. He does the work through what he did on the cross. He does the work of pouring out this righteousness upon us. Our work is doing the believing. And in that moment, in the moment that we receive the gift of salvation, we are another uh, biblical spiritual word that we almost rarely, ever, if ever, use. We are justified. What does that mean? Just as if I'd never sinned. See, if a person stands before a judge in a court and they've broken the law and guilt has been declared, now they are subject to a sentence to pay the penalty, right? The penalty of breaking the law. We are born into this world separated from God with a sin nature. And we stand before a holy God guilty. But Romans 3.22 tells us that God offers forgiveness. It's given through faith in Jesus Christ. Why? Because we've all sinned and we all thought of the glory of God. So he gives this to us. And we're justified at that moment. That means we are declared innocent. We are no longer subject to the legal penalty of sin. That's a beautiful thing. That's an incredible, beautiful thing. But that's not sanctification. See, justification makes me released from the penalty of sin... 
but sanctification releases me from the power of sin. See, I'm justified in a moment. I'm declared innocent because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But my sanctification is a process over time where more and more and more I say, Lord, I want to be set apart. I want to be different. I want to reflect your glory to the world. I'll close with this passage of Scripture because this this is what Jehovah Mekadishkam wants to do in all of us. It's found in Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. Paul writes, Since then you have been raised with Christ. And this is because of salvation, Romans 3.23. Set your hearts on things above. Not all this stuff. Not fitting in. Not looking like the rest of the world. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You know what you say? Your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's because that righteousness was given to you. It was gifted to you. God sees you through the righteousness of His Son, Jesus Christ. Is that not an amazing thing? When you say yes to Jesus, all of that happens. And He says, because that happened, verse 5, put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. This is the process of sanctification. Put to death your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways. You used to do this. This used to be a part of who you were. You were like everybody else. But now... You must rid yourselves of all such things. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Don't lie to each other. Since you've taken off your old self with its practices. And you've put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here's what Paul is saying. You know... You used to be just a regular old plain old football. You were like every other football that laid on the ground. You were like every other football that anybody ever just picked up and threw around. Doesn't care, nothing special. But because of the righteousness of God that you receive when you say yes to Jesus, because I'm, I'm going to put my name on you. I'm going to sign my name on your heart. I want to set you aside and I want to make you special 
And I want everybody when they walk by you to see that you're not just another football. You're somebody different. You're somebody with value. You're somebody that belongs to me. He is the Lord Mechadition, the Lord who sanctifies you. And unlike the world where being different is sometimes hard, in the kingdom, being set apart is a thing of honor and it's a thing of value. Would you stand? Father, I pray this morning that if someone needs to invite Jesus Christ into their life to be their Lord and Savior, to receive forgiveness of sin, that they'll come talk to me this morning and and just make that choice, make that decision. Be justified. Set free from the penalty of sin. But Lord, we all need to constantly be seeking to be set free from the power of sin. To live differently before you, to live differently before the world. To be ready to answer anytime someone asks, why are you different? Lord, help us to seek your face this morning with whatever we need in Jesus' name.